This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. If you have your Bibles, would you open them please to the book of Jeremiah? The book of Jeremiah, we are looking at the prophet Jeremiah and we need to remember the role of the Old Testament prophets. What were they there for? They were there to call God's people back to devotion, loyalty, and obedience to the Lord. Now when we think of that, when we hear that, we might think to ourselves, well, what a great way to spend your life. Preaching God's word calling people back to faithfulness to the Lord. What a great way to spend a life. It's not. (laughs) Most of these prophets live tortured lives because the faith community was not often receptive to what they had to say. Uh, Jeremiah was no exception. His life was difficult because the reality is that when you call out the idolatry of a group of people, that's not often a well-received message. As one pastor once said, and I will never forget this, he said, you will touch a nerve when you poke someone in the idols. (laughs) That's going to happen today. That's going to happen today. Jeremiah 17. We're going to read verses 5 to 8. Jeremiah 17, verses 5 to 8. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands, They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. The passage that we're looking at today, Jeremiah tells us about two shrubs, two bushes, two trees, two arboreal entities, and this imagery is used to tell us three things about the human heart. Three things about the human heart. Here they are. The fatal flaw in every heart, the byproduct of the fatal flaw in every heart, and the supernatural cure for every heart. The fatal flaw in every heart, the byproduct of the fatal flaw in every heart, and the supernatural cure for every heart. Number one, the fatal flaw in every heart. Verse five says, cursed is the one who trusts in man. Now this is the general principle, so its application is gonna be very broad. The fatal flaw in every heart is misplaced trust. Now because this is poetry, we have parallelism happening. So when it comes to biblical interpretation, parallelism is your friend. So we have cursed is the one who trusts in man, and then the parallel line is the next line, often in poetry, who draws strength from mere flesh. 
Okay, so Jeremiah has just explained what it means to trust in man by making it parallel to drawing strength. The fatal flaw in your heart and mine is our tendency to draw strength from human beings. Now, this idea of drawing strength also has imagery behind it. The imagery that's used is that of a bush or a shrub or a tree and, and what it does with its roots. Trust is the act of sending out your roots. Drawing strength is the act of sending out your roots. Now, let's think about that for a minute. The purpose of roots, what is it? Two, as far as I can tell. One is to anchor the shrub, right? Keep in place. The other is to absorb nutrients, minerals that, that nourish the plant. So when you trust in something, when you trust in someone, you're sending out your roots in order to anchor yourself, nourish yourself, invigorate yourself, give yourself security. So the overall point that Jeremiah is going to make is that if God is not the object of your root sending, if God is not the object of your, the, the final destination of your root sending, there will be something else you suck on for your significant security, purpose, and meaning. The fatal flaw in your heart and mind is our tendency to draw strength from human beings. We suck on other human beings for our significance, security, purpose, and meaning. Now, let's dwell on some examples. There are hundreds of them, but I'll mention three. Now, it's likely the most immediate application for Jeremiah in his time was in the arena of politics and military. Jerusalem was in a predicament. They had Egypt on one side of them, Babylon on the other side of them. That prompted some questionable alliances. And Jeremiah is saying, cursed is the one who trusts in political maneuvering. Cursed is the one who trusts in political figures, in political victories. Cursed is the one who puts too much stock in military might. We would do well to heed God's words to us in this matter. Even in the church, political candidates have become the objects of unhealthy trust. My observation of American evangelicalism is that Christians increasingly are sending out their roots to their favorite political candidates and political victories and sucking on them for security and meaning. And I wonder if the genesis of that can be tied back to a subtle lie that has been believed. The lie is that the United States has a special relationship with God. Let me give you a history lesson. The year was 1777. The pastor's name was Nicholas Street. The place was East Haven, Connecticut. The situation was the Revolutionary War. Just months after the American colonies declared independence from England, Nicholas Street, pastor, preached a sermon that applied Old Testament Bible stories to Revolutionary War events. The title of the sermon, The American States Acting Over the Part of the Children of Israel in the Wilderness and Thereby Impeding Their Entrance into Canaan's Rest. That's the title, not the sermon. <laughs> 23 words. Try fitting that on a marquee. Street presented the American colonists who were enduring English oppression as the children of Israel. He compared the leaders of the American Revolution to Moses and Aaron. He paralleled England and Egypt 
correlated the military struggles of the infant republic with the crossing of the Red Sea and presented the colonies as the promised land. Street wasn't the only preacher to do this. Numerous other preachers picked up this practice. The approach, the mindset, didn't dissipate. Nearly 100 years later, Herman Melville, most well-known for authoring Moby Dick, took the idea even farther, saying God had, quote, predestined America to be the world's political messiah, end quote. Admittedly, God has blessed this country in ways that far exceed our merits. I've talked with believers all over the world. I have friends, colleagues in ministry all over the world who would laugh at me if I said otherwise. And we should express gratitude to God for these blessings and seek to be superb stewards of them. But we also need to confront this view out there that says God has a special relationship with the United States. As if the United States is the new Israel. That's not right. Trevin Wax comments on this. He says, no matter how much we long for the blessing of God on our nation, we must expose the lie that America has a special privileged relationship with God. Applying Old Testament promises to our nation today is unsound scriptural interpretation. The church is God's shining city on the hill, not the United States. Cursed is the one who trusts in human flesh. Yes, cursed is the one who trusts in the flesh of political figures. Second example we need to think through is human approval. Cursed is the one who trusts in human approval. People pleasing can be intoxicating. We love the way it makes us feel. When we tell someone what they want to hear, when we do something for them that they want done for them, we love the strokes that they give us. Let me quickly mention three reasons why people pleasing is futile. Why people pleasing, sending your roots out to people pleasing is futile. The first is this. People are different. Therefore, when you please one person, you inevitably, simultaneously displease another. If you think everyone agrees with you, you don't know enough people yet. (laughs) Your circle's too small. People are different. When you please one, you simultaneously displease another. If you don't think that's true, you just don't know enough people yet. That's one reason it's futile. Second reason it's futile to send your roots out to people-pleasing is actually you may inadvertently be satisfying sinful desires. Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the verse that follows the section we're focusing on today, tells us that the human heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. It's sick. The human heart is the wellspring of human desire. Question, what kind of desires do you think a deceitful and desperately sick heart produces? Deceitful and desperately sick desires. Do you understand that in pleasing people, living to please people, you actually may inadvertently be satisfying sinful desires in them? It's futile. 
Third reason why it's futile to send your roots out into people-pleasing is maybe the, the simplest and yet most profound. Even Jesus, the perfect man, didn't please everybody. Did you know that? Did you know he was called a gluttonous man? Did you know he was labeled a drunkard? Did you know that he was repudiated time and again for hanging out with people who live sinful lifestyles? It's all there in Luke 7. Therefore, connect the dots here, therefore, (laughs) pleasing everybody isn't necessary to live a perfect life. You ever think about that? Not even Jesus was successful at pleasing everybody, and yet he lived a perfect life. And if Jesus can't please everybody, what makes you think you can? Human approval is a common source of strength that we tend to send our roots out to. And it's a fatal flaw in every one of us. One more example, marriage. Specifically living for marriage. It's nothing better than a great marriage. But even if you have the greatest marriage in the world, one of you is going to die. There's nothing wrong with loving your spouse. But if your roots only go down as far as your spouse. If your roots don't go all the way down into God, the cosmic water table, you're going to dry up and blow away. What are you sucking on for your security and purpose? If you're not sure, ask yourself some diagnostic questions. Questions like, what absorbs the free space of your calendar and budget? What absorbs that? Where does your free time and discretionary income most easily flow without a second thought? It just goes there. What gives you your deepest anxiety, your harshest rage, and highest euphoria? Where does your mind automatically go when nothing is occupying it? Archbishop William Temple once said, your true religion is whatever you do with your solitude. Whatever you say is your true religion, he says, forget about that. Your true religion is whatever you do with your solitude. The answers to these questions are clues showing you where you're sending your roots. The fatal flaw in your heart and mind is our tendency to draw strength from human beings. Second, the byproduct of the fatal flaw in every heart. Verse six, that person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. It's very interesting. In this verse, the word for prosperity is literally the word for good. The same good God used several times in Genesis 1 and 2 in the creation account. So the verse would read, the person who draws strength from human beings will not see any good come. That's a very intriguing word choice. If you think back to the creation account, the word for good is pregnant with meaning. When God declared all aspects to his creative work to be good, he was saying a number of things, but one of those was was he was saying something about the quality of the thing created, superb, flawless, impeccable, yes, but he was also also saying something about, about its existential fullness, That is, the thing created was exactly the way it was supposed to be. So after he creates, he takes a step back, as it were, he evaluates what he's created, and he says, yes, 
This is the way it's supposed to be. Now, on the seventh day, God rested. He's not resting because he's tired. To rest is a statement of completion. Everything is as it should be. The work is done. In other words, good and rest go together. Bring that back to Jeremiah 17. The fatal flaw in your heart and mine is our tendency to draw strength from human beings, favorite political candidates, military might, the approval of others, professional accolades. The byproduct of drawing strength from human beings is that things will not be the way they're supposed to be. You will not have existential fullness. You will not have existential rest. The byproduct of drawing strength from all these things, these human beings, is restlessness, discontentment, and thirst. You see all the words in verse 6 that hint at thirst. Wastelands, desert, parched places, salt land. When we draw our strength from political victories or our military might or the approval of people or the prestige of our expertise, the accolades we collect, we are setting ourselves up to be restless, discontent, and thirsty. There are no shortage of stories that capture this. It's amazing to me sometimes that we have to have those in the unbelieving world remind us of this. Tom Brady, a few years ago, quarterback for the Patriots, in an interview with a local CBS News affiliate in Boston, said, why do I have all these Super Bowl rings and think there's something greater for me out there? He said, a lot of people would look at me and say, hey, that's what's important. You reached your goal, your dream. Me, I think there has to be more than this. This can't be all it's cracked up to be. Brady is drawing strength from his professional accomplishments and all the accolades that come with it. Few people have accomplished more. And yet, do you hear the words of thirst in his statement? He's drawing strength from human beings and he's still restless, discontent, thirsty. Not long before film director Sidney Pollack died, there was an article written about his inability to slow down and enjoy his final years with his loved ones. Though he was unwell and the filmmaking process was grueling, wearing him out, he said that he couldn't justify his existence if he stopped. He said, every time I finish a picture, I feel like I've done what I'm supposed to do in the sense that I've earned my stay for another year or two. But then he had to start over. He's drawing strength from human beings. And yet he's still restless, discontent, thirsty. Alexander the Great, one of the greatest political and military figures in human history, when the empire was at its greatest, looked out into the world and mourned and grieved No more worlds to conquer. Oscar Wilde had it right. He said there are two tragedies in life. One is not getting what you want. The other is getting it. Trusting in political victories, human approval, professional accolades is like a shrub 
sending its roots into sand. Very little nourishment and stability will ever be found there. The byproduct is restlessness, discontentment, thirst. Third, the supernatural cure for every heart. What's the solution to this? Look at verse 8. Blessed is the person who trusts in the Lord. They are like a tree planted by the water. So here's what this is saying. In our natural state, in our natural state, we draw strength from human beings, and this will never change just by trying. In our natural state, we draw strength from human beings, and this will never change just by trying. The contrast is a naturally occurring bush in the wasteland versus a tree that has been acted upon by being planted. Okay? This is not a naturally planting tree. A non-tree has planted the tree by the water. If you want your roots to go down into the stream, somebody has to plant you by the stream. That's the imagery that's, that is conveyed here, and it creates a sense of dependency and desperation. That fits with what Jeremiah says just a few verses later in chapter 17, verse 14. He says, heal me, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved. Question for you. When do you ask someone to heal you? When I was a kid, we were doing a science experiment that involved the stovetop. Mind you, I was a child. (laughs) My mom had just turned on the coil burner, and because it wasn't orange, I concluded it wasn't hot. So I took my two fingers, and I set them right on top of it. I don't know why. (laughs) Yes, lots of tears. There was lots of weeping. But we treated it, took care of it. Eventually, the skin grew back, and you could see it growing back. It was a very interesting thing as a child to watch. (laughs) But I didn't run to anybody saying, heal me, heal me, heal me, because my body had the restorative power to heal itself. When do you say, heal me? You say, heal me, when you know you're going to die without an intervention. You say, heal me when you have a poison in your body, and you know if you don't get the antidote, you're going to die. You say, heal me when you've got a tumor in your body, and if it's not removed, you're going to die. Have you ever come to this kind of place of desperation and dependency in your relationship with God? Jeremiah is saying, we are all naturally occurring shrubs in the wasteland, and the only cure for our restlessness, discontentment, and thirst is to cry out to God, heal me, I need to be replanted. That's what it means to be a Christian. See, a lot of people think being a Christian is just about uprooting yourself, moving closer to the stream, and then working hard to get your roots down into God, the cosmic water table. But the language of Jeremiah 17 conveys something more radical than that. Somebody has to dig you up. Somebody has to plant you. There has to be surgery. There has to be an intervention. The natural state of the human heart is not to make God the center of your trust. The natural state of the human heart is to put our roots down into something else. Part of the supernatural cure is getting you to a place of desperation and dependency. Acts 16 tells a wonderful story that illustrates what Jeremiah is getting at here. The story is about a businesswoman named Lydia. She was a dealer of purple cloth, which in that day was a luxury good. The conclusion of the matter is that she was likely very wealthy. 
So here you have a very successful, wealthy businesswoman, but her heart was just like yours and mine, deceitful and desperately sick. When she heard Paul preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to her, here's what happened. We read about it in Acts 16, 14. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. The Lord opened her heart. She's being uprooted. She's being replanted. The Lord is causing her to call out for healing and saving. The Lord opened her heart. Have you done that? Have you done that? I've asked people, are you a Christian before? You know what the response often is? Well, I'm trying. No. Has the Lord opened your heart? Salvation is not achieved, it's received. Maybe today's your Lydia day where God moves you to the place of dependency and desperation. Now, for many of you, that day has happened. Praise be to Jesus. The method of finding satisfaction and rest and thirst quenching, the method doesn't change once you become a believer. It's not you receive salvation and then you work really, really, really hard to get your roots down into God. No, you go back, you revisit the days of your uprooting. Go revisit the days of your replanting. Go revisit the days of your healing, your saving, all that God did in Jesus to do that in you. Revisit those days. Get back to the place of desperation, dependency. Get back to the place of God's sovereign grace working in you. Revisit those days. Because the more time you spend, the more energy you exhaust in going back to those days, in seeing what God has done to heal you and save you, the more you're sinking your roots into him and the more you're finding rest. One of my favorite movies is Castaway, starring Tom Hanks. The story covers a guy by the name of Chuck Nolan who's like a systems efficiencies expert for FedEx. So he travels the world to all these different hubs for FedEx and he evaluates whether or not packages are, are getting to where they need to be. Right? Very punctual, everything's gotta be precise. He's on an international flight with some handful of other FedEx employees and the plane goes down in the Pacific somewhere. He's the lone survivor. He washes ashore on a small desert island. One of his first concerns shifts to finding fresh water. He's surrounded by seawater. And uh, he discovers that, that the island he's on is littered with coconut trees. Here's a city boy. He knows there's water in there, but he's a city boy. He's not sure exactly how to get at it. So he starts taking the coconuts, and he starts throwing them at the, at the rock wall that's in front of him, one after another, throwing it throwing it. Maybe that'll get it open. It doesn't work. He takes the coconuts, goes over to the, to the wall. He's bashing it against the, the rock wall. That doesn't work. He takes the coconut. He smashes against the jagged edge of the rock. That doesn't work. Then he starts trying to carve away at the outer husk. By this time, he's got sweat dripping off his face. The guy's breathing heavy. He's exhausted. He knows what's inside is the source and the key to his life and survival and nourishment. He knows that. Well, he finally gets it. He finally gets it. As I watch that two minutes unfold, I often think to myself, what's my coconut? I'm smashing it against the rock. I need what's inside. Sweat's dripping off my face. 
I'm exhausted trying to get at what's inside. What's your coconut? Where are you looking for thirst-quenching water? Inside of what? Inside of what is the key to contentment? Political victories? Military supremacy? Human approval? Professional accolades? Inside of what is the key to contentment? Blessed is the person who trusts in the Lord. They are like a tree planted by the water. Let's pray. Jesus, we say with the disciples, to whom shall we go? For you alone have the words of eternal life. Human flesh can offer us nothing. You raise up nations, you bring them down. You and you alone possess the assets and abilities to order the circumstances of our lives so as to bring us happiness or misery. So to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Replant those who need to be replanted. Open hearts to respond to the gospel. Heal and save those who need healing and saving. Enable us to run to you, the only true source of living water. We praise you for that now. In your name, amen.